Psalm 98 says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that, dwell, that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. You know, we're here this morning to uh, be encouraged and reminded of God's greatness, um, his love, his mercy. Um, and and we're, one of the things we're here to do is to sing praises to him. Um, it says, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. And uh, thinking about, you know, how cool is it that we have a king that we can come before uh, and make a joyful noise. We don't have to be afraid to express ourselves in his presence. We have a king who calls us into his presence and, and wants to hear from us this morning. So let's commit our time to the Lord. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here together. Um, as part of the family of, of God, a part of the family of God that is uh, worldwide, um, and that includes people from every tribe and nation and people. Um, Father, we just ask that you'd left our hearts here this morning, here in Urbandale, uh, as we come before the King and are just reminded of your great power and your love and uh, as we're encouraged to be uh, a people that walks faithfully before you. It's in your name we pray, amen. weekend. It's a weekend with a, some exciting things happening. Going to hear in just a second about some things related to tomorrow's 4th of July gathering. But first, I just want to bring a couple of things to your attention. Uh, first, if you have not had a chance to stop out after the service, go take a look at these two uh, wooden stumps over here. Ken did a, an awesome job uh, wood carving on those. One of them has the Ten Commandments and some verses from Romans 5. So just uh, go take a look at that afterwards and say thank you to Ken. Ken does so much stuff around this facility that goes unnoticed and maybe unappreciated sometimes, but we are so thankful for Ken. Give Ken a round of applause. Um, And, and on that note, I know there is a work day coming up, July 17th. So Ken, I'm sure, would appreciate some warm bodies and willing hands to, to come out that day and, and help with some, some different things around the uh, church building. So Mark, come on up and give, give a quick uh, plug to let us know what you still need for tomorrow. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see some visitors. My name is Mark. And Anand and I have been coordinating our 4th of July event for this year. It's our big uh, in-house fellowship event. Plus, in the last couple years, it's really grown to be a more of an outreach to the community as well. We see quite a few coming to watch the fireworks on our lawn. We've got a great view. Uh, so tomorrow night, please come. We've got a potluck picnic at 5.30, followed by games and fellowship hangout time, and then fireworks at the end. Uh, thank you to all of you who have signed up so far. We just need a few spots uh, filled in, mostly on the cleanup side. Uh, so all the, all the good spots are taken, but uh, maybe, maybe you're, you want to help clean up. That would be great. We need some help with the kitchen cleanup and some tear down and clean up. And uh, probably not anyone's favorite job, but cleaning up the popcorn and snow cone machines afterwards might be a little dirty and grimy and gross, but uh, that, that's something we do need. And then uh, we've got quite a few youth signed up to run the popcorn and snow cone machines, but we could use another adult or two in the room to uh, help run them and oversee them. Alan's going to have to be doing it all by himself if no one else signs up to help. And then also one thing we're adding this year is a gospel tract blitz. We've got a few people signed up for that, but could use a few more. 
basically what we've seen the last couple years is there's at least 100 people from the community just camping out across the lawn about 15 to 20 minutes before the fireworks start. I thought it'd be great if we could quickly canvas through and give them an invite card and a track card and a glow frisbee this year. So if you're interested in just helping us blitz right through and hand those out right before the fireworks, that would be great. Uh, see me afterwards um, if you're interested in helping. Thanks. All right. Uh, one more reminder. Um, thank you to everyone who's had a chance to go out and fill out this hard uh, for youth pastor feedback and commitment form. Um, if you haven't had a chance, today is our day that we're targeting to get those all in by. Uh, you can either turn this in in person and, and drop it in the offering box out on the welcome table, or if you're really tech savvy and you know how to use a QR code, down in the right-hand corner, Mike has a special uh, QR code that you can use your phone with to take you right to the website, and you can fill this out online as well. So just looking for uh, people to be able to go out and uh, fill that in. If you, if you can give, great. If you can't, if you're not able to give, you know, we're not trying to pressure anyone. What we do want to do is just get a feel for uh, where we're at as a congregation and, uh, you know, what the timeline might look like for moving forward with that. So... Um, just to continue to appreciate your prayer for God's leading and guidance as, as we uh, contemplate uh, what to do next. So that's a good transition to maybe have Steve come up and we've got some youth that are, uh, we're going to also have come up. I'll let him give out their names and then uh, they can come on up. I'm going to have, <clears throat> like to ask all those, uh, well they're all gals, so all you gals that are serving at camp this summer, uh, please come on up forward. Uh, so Emma, Ashlyn, uh, is Ailey here? No, it is not. Is Ailey here? Yeah, there she is. Okay. And Ava. All right. So, yeah, just come on up here. Uh, you can just stand right down in front so we don't embarrass you too much. Um, all these gals are serving uh, somewhere at a, in a camp ministry this summer. So three of them are working at Hidden Acres up north by um, Pilot Mound, Dayton, Iowa. Yeah, Dayton, Iowa. And Ava's headed to Colorado, right? Did I get that right, Ava? Okay. And so all of them will be serving this month, okay, so in July, uh, not all of them for the entire month, but uh, I'm not going to go into all the details. They're serving the Lord, and I thought about, you know, in Isaiah 52, it says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, saying, our God saves. And, uh, you know, again, they may not all of them be directly involved in evangelism, but they're, they're serving for the cause of evangelism so that young people can come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So I just really want to uh, pray for them, and I want to ask you, if you would, as a congregation, just uh, to add them to your prayer list and be praying for them. Uh, so we got Ailey and Ashlyn and Ava and Emma, all right? And uh, so I'm just going to pray and ask you to uh, join with me. Father, I just commit these young ladies. I thank you for their willingness to serve. I thank you that they take seriously the call of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They're going to be doing some nasty stuff, some things that's not so fun, some things that are hard. I pray that you'd encourage them, help them to do it for you and not for people. I ask that you keep them safe and well, and I pray that you'd lead them uh, into really meaningful gospel conversations by your grace and for your glory. We pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, gals. You can, you can go down and be seated now. Um, now I'd like to ask, uh, just uh, I'm going to say a couple of words and then I'll, we're going to do a, a parent baby dedication, okay? So Victoria uh, Martinez is here with her two boys, uh, Pablo and Ruben, and uh, she would like to um, bring her kids before the Lord and before this congregation uh, just to basically say uh, that she's pledging to do her best by God's grace uh, to raise them to know and fear and honor, honor Jesus. Uh, it's a celebration, right? Uh, the psalmist said, uh, children uh, are a gift from the Lord. Uh, the fruit of the womb is a reward. And uh, these, these boys are uh, a blessing and uh, we, we know what a blessing they are. They're a blessing to her. Thank you, Reuben. And uh, they are uh, an encouragement. And, and, and for those of you who may not, some of you know, some may not, they're a constant reminder of uh, the preciousness of uh, the relationship that uh, Victoria and her late husband had, uh, Reuben. So we uh, just asked them, uh, Victoria, why don't you bring the boys up? Uh, come on, Reuben. Pablo? Come on. 
He's looking for the spider. Okay. All right. Uh, so Victoria is, is coming before us, and she... Yeah, come on up, kid. Come here, bud. We'll go see Spidey in a minute, okay? All right. So, so Victoria is really just saying she's coming before us, before the congregation, to bring Pablo and Reuben and you know, to raise them in the ways of the Lord, okay? She's, uh, she, her deepest desire, I know, having talked to Victoria, her deepest desire is for her boys to know Jesus personally and serve Jesus passionately in the same way uh, that their dad uh, loved and served the Lord with the same heart that, that he had. And as a single mom, uh, you, you know, it, it's hard enough for those of us who have been have two parents to, to raise the kids in the fear of the Lord. And it's, uh, she just wants to express her desire to do that and to enlist our support okay, in doing that. So Victoria, my encouragement to you, uh, young lady, is just that, that you would make your walk with God a priority. You know, uh, the Lord says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And I know you do. And I just pray that you would uh, just continue uh, with your radio on the Christian music. So as you're driving with the boys, uh, to try to carve some time out. You may need to enlist some help so you can spend some quiet time with, with Jesus. Uh, I just think of uh, the gal uh, that many will know, uh, Joanna Wesley, or Susanna Wesley, I'm sorry. She had 19 children. And uh, <clears throat> she... And, and she would, she would uh, go to the middle of the floor and then she'd pull her apron over her head. And uh, that's where she would pray. And her kids knew, I don't know how, she must have had some enforcement, but she knew that you don't leave mom alone when she's praying. So just encourage you in your, in your walk with the Lord. And then try to just communicate with the boys, you know, uh, the, the love of Jesus as they're out walking and going about their business, you know, the, uh, writer uh, Moses said in, in Deuteronomy, and these words which I have commanded you uh, today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently <clears throat> to your sons, and you shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so just as they go about their business, you know, this is God's creation, whatever it happens to be. So I'm going to not delay this any longer. I'm just going to say, uh, ask you a question. Uh, Victoria, are, are you trusting in, in Jesus Christ and his death and that alone is the payment for your sins? Yes. Yes, you are. Um, do you commit before God and, and uh, these witnesses, we're not making O's or anything, you're just saying, I, I'm going to do my very best, I'm an imperfect person, but I'm going to do my best uh, to raise these boys up to know and fear and serve the Lord. And if so, answer, I, I, I'm going to, I do. I do. I do, okay. Then so now I'm going to ask you all, as a congregation, uh, will you commit to pray for and to participate uh, with Victoria in pointing these boys to know and fear and honor and serve the Lord Jesus? And if so, say, uh, uh, we do. We do. All right. Okay. Reuben, can you come here, bud? You want to pray? We're going to pray. Okay. Pablo, can we pray? All right. Let's pray. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just uh, pray for Victoria. And uh, the challenges that she has and her heart's desire, I pray that you would honor her heart and honor her desire, that you would work powerfully by your spirit in, in, in Pablo and Ruben's lives, that you would grab a hold of their hearts, that you would seize it from a young age, and that they would come to know and fear and serve you on, on honorably in all of their days. I pray for Victoria, for grace and strength. Give her courage in the days in which she, she needs it, physical energy and stamina and spiritual encouragement, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Yes. All right. Yeah. And I'd just like to say to all of you, if you're listening online or if uh, you happen to be here as a guest for the very first time, we're just grateful and thankful that you're able to worship with us this morning. If you're here in person, there is a, an extra flap on the bulletin if you would be so kind as to fill that out and uh, put it in the offering box. That's all we'd ask you to put in the offering box for us this morning. We're just grateful that you're with us and we're glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. I'm going to pray for our time in the Word of God, our time to worship Him through the study of His Word. So I'd ask you to Join me. Oh, uh, I forgot to dismiss the kids for Sunday school. So all of those young people who are headed to Sunday school, uh, you can do that, okay? And then I'll pray. Father, 
what a blessing, Lord. What a blessing to see uh, a young mom with uh, two little ones uh, wanting to raise them to know and fear you and then uh, kind of to see before that uh, a group of young ladies who have been raised by their parents to, to fear and know and honor you that are headed out to serve you. And uh, what a beautiful circle that is. And I pray that you would continue to, to bless and enrich the efforts of your spirit working in and through the lives of people. And we know it has to be your spirit doing the work. And so I pray that you would do your work in our hearts right now as we look into your word, open our eyes, that we might be, behold wonderful truths from your law, not just to know them, but to live them. So that we might better serve you and honor you, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What's one of the most common labels or criticisms that you can think of against Christians? Somebody says, ah, Christians are hypocrites, right? I heard it. Somebody said hypocrites. Sadly, that's true. Oftentimes, that we, uh, you know, our our profession doesn't always match up with our our, our practice, and so it's a, it's a blemish. I mean, I've known, you know, uh, Christians who would trust unbelievers more than they do some people who profess to know Christ. I've known employers who would rather hire unbelievers than Christians. They've seen Christians professing Christians who are a profound disappointment to them. They're, they're lazy, they're dishonest, they're irresponsible. And so I've had actual you know, business people say, yeah, I'm not, if somebody tells me they're probably not gonna hire them again, you know, that person. That's sad. It's very sad. What, what I think would really be wonderful, would be spectacular, would be marvelous if at some point uh, we would be more consistently reflective of the the, the commendation that, that this guy in the Old Testament by the name of Daniel received from the people who didn't like him. And here's what the text says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, uh, the people who were accusing Daniel says, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this man except with regard to the law of his God. Now, too often, often uh, our inconsistent practice which belies our profession, uh, prevents those words from being said about us as believers. That the only thing we can get against this guy is if we can find something that makes his virtue a vice. If we can somehow do that, then, then we can have a, an accusation against him. Well, we learn uh, we shouldn't live in the past. It's my favorite line from the, the Lion King, that theological treaty, uh, in the Lion King, uh, it says we don't we don't we don't live in the past. We learn from it, and so uh, I hope we can learn from it. And we can learn from it if we take a lesson from the life of Daniel. In uh, Daniel chapter six, his example instructs us and inspires us uh, to consistently demonstrate fearless faith, especially in a in a fickle world. And so, if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone or a device and you can find Daniel or you can reach under the seat somewhere in front of you there should be a Bible there and we are going to read through Daniel chapter 6 I know it's a long passage but I think it's important that we get the whole gist of it Old Testament narrative you kind of got to get the story right so every night we read Bible stories so here's a Bible story okay starting in the morning Daniel chapter 6 verse 1 it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps uh governors, okay, over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. And then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. I'm going to stop there because as we read through the text, you'll find, a, I think, an interesting parallel 
between what happens in the life of Daniel and then what happens 600 years later in the life of Jesus. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. Okay, so here's, you know, schmoozing. We're going to soften the king up, you know. We're going to make him think, we just think he's the greatest thing. And, and, oh, oh, king, you know, live forever. Verse 7, all the commissioners, that's a lie, uh, of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, king, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then the men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition to supplication before his God, and then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Uh, did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? And the king answered and said, The statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and they spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed. And he set his mind on delivering Daniel. Even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement. There's a lot of agreement going on here. They, they came by agreement. Sounds like a plan. To the king and said to the king, recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. And then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signet rings of the nobles, so that nothing might be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and went spent the night fasting and no entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled before him. Then the king arose with the dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the den, to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and he said, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions. And then Daniel spoke to the king. Oh, king, live forever. Interesting. The satraps and commissioners, oh, king, live forever. Now Daniel, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they, may, that, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also towards you, O oh, king, I have committed no crime. And then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den so that Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury, whatever, was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now this part, the next part, is cut out of the children's storybooks, okay? Then the king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children and their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people's nations, men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. For his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lion's den. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, 
Persian. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I'd like to suggest that the the fearless faith of Daniel that's portrayed in Daniel chapter 6 has three distinct features which challenge, I think, and comfort believers, but also are a cause for others to fear God, to to know him. And uh, this is all for his glory, not ours. And so what does it mean to have fearless faith? Well, first of all, uh, we see that uh, fearless faith is, is devoid of corruption begins there and there are two responses to Daniel's integrity uh, that accompany fearless faith in what I think is a fickle world Daniel's world was fickle towards him our world is fickle towards us if we're children of the living God first of all our integrity is recognized now Darius was serving in the capital city of Babylon but Cyrus was actually the ruler over Persian, okay, so he was serving, Darius was serving at the pleasure of Cyrus, and Darius decided that it would be a good idea, which I think is not a bad idea, organizationally structure his kingdom, so they had 120 governors, and they were overseen by three commissioners, okay, 40 apiece, okay, so that's, that's what he did, but notice why he did this in verse 2, it says, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. These were people of integrity. These were people of honesty, the the commissioners. (laughs) And they were supposed to hold the governors in check so that the king might not suffer loss. Daniel's character is further attested to in verse 4 where it says that they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, that he was faithful And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So Daniel's vast experience, his extraordinary spirit, and his exemplary character had distinguished himself so much so that the king was going to put him in charge of everybody. That's where he was. I uh, was fascinated this week uh, I know there's a lot of controversy, I guess, maybe, for some people about the Supreme Court uh, ruling on uh, Roe versus Wade, but uh, Justice Clarence Thomas has been kind of the, the head of the spear of criticism. And there was a, there's a video out of uh, Justice Sotomayor on the Supreme Court, and Clarence Thomas and Justice Sotomayor have probably uh, disagreed the most on every, I mean, on almost every issue, they disagree the most. But it's Justice Sotomayor who was articulating how much she respected Clarence Thomas for his character. She couldn't deny his impeccable character. Daniel, Daniel's character couldn't be denied. And I, I just say this because God places... His people, in the midst of a pagan culture, in, in, in certain institutions all over the place, in order for his name to be made famous. So in the halls of government, in, in politics, God puts his people there. In various occupations, God puts his people there. I've often said, and I'll say it again, you are not a plumber who happens to be a Christian. You are not an accountant who happens to be a Christian. You're not an insurance agent who happens to be a Christian. You are a Christian who happens to be a plumber. You are a Christian who happens to be a CPA. You're a Christian who happens to be an insurance agent. Our identity is in Christ. It's not in our vocation. But God uses our our vocation. And, And God places us in families or in relationships. Joseph was with Pharaoh, you know? It's like, whoa, how does that work? And then we have other other places in the Old Testament. You got Esther. She's kind of, whoa, in there with the pagans. Nehemiah, he was there with Artaxerxes. I thought of, uh, you know, Daniel here. 
I think Mike Pompeo, who's a, a believing Christian, I, I'm, not, I'm not here elevating anybody, but he was serving under a former president. Why? Billy Graham, how many presidents did he advise? Lots of them, right? So God places us in these positions. So our integrity is, is first of all revealed, and then we see in Daniel's life, when, once if you're living for Jesus, if I'm living for Jesus, our integrity will be revealed, but eventually at some point in time in a pagan world, our integrity will be resented. Um, some of you have seen, and I'm not recommending it, but uh, some of you have seen the movie 42, the story of Jackie Robinson, who was the, the first African-American uh, baseball, professional baseball player. And uh, he was not treated well. His excellence got him the position of playing professional baseball. But people didn't appreciate that sometimes. And he was maligned and demeaned because of it. You see, racial prejudice on the part of others uh, kept them from appreciating it. And today, I think about what, what is it that can... Uh, turn people against our integrity? Well, uh, a lot of things. Uh, today, there's opposing political perspectives, opposing economic perspectives, opposing moral perspectives that, uh, uh, you know, people on opposite ends try to find grounds for accusations against the people on the other side in order to gain power. Yeah. So, whether we're faithful... Uh, whether we are a faithful person in a position of power or not, at some point in time, if we're faithful, I think we will be resented for our integrity. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And yeah, I think you see this, right? I mean, the people, uh, again, I, I mentioned the Supreme Court uh, ruling, just uh, one ruling in uh, Roe versus Wade, and you see the explosion of opposite perspectives and the vehement hatred towards justices who upheld what I would consider to be a, a, a respect for human life and, and, a, and a position that would be honoring to God. Whether or not they are believers or not, I, I'm not making any judgment on that, but they held up what God would want to be held up, I, I think. And so, but boom, that's a flashpoint. And this is where our culture is. But here we see Daniel. The enemy sought vainly to find some accusation against him with regard to his governing abilities. I thought about uh, Noah, you know, in Gen Genesis chapter 6, uh, verse 9. Uh, you know, Noah is, is a man. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah is a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Well, Daniel was blameless. There's nothing they could find against him. But now, then you go to verse 5, which I quoted as we got started. Then these commissioners and uh, no, sorry, then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. The only way Daniel could be discredited was to force a choice between his obedience to God or his allegiance to Persia. I thought about this. That's the greatest compliment any Christian could ever have. That the only ground you could make of accusation against me would be to make my virtue into a vice. Peter said something about that in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 as well. He said, you know, you know so what if you are, are, are persecuted because you do stupid stuff? This is my paraphrase, okay, the Bible doesn't say this. But if you do what's right and you suffer for it, this is acceptable to God. God, it, it should be through our good works that, that we're, we're criticized. This is what Daniel, this is, I think, Today, as Christians, uh, Christian virtue is routinely made into a vice. If you and I stand for the truth of God's word, it will be considered a vice by the world. I hope you know what I mean by a vice, a bad thing, okay? It's not a good thing in the world's eyes, it's a good thing in God's eyes. I think about that. There are countries in, in this world where to 
share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that, that there's salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone and no other, is illegal. You can be imprisoned for it. That conversion is outlawed. It's, uh, it's wrong. There are countries in this world where if you say that, that, uh, that, that marriage is between one man and one woman for life, you are out of touch. Uh, America is one of those countries. But that's God's perspective. So marriage is between one man and one woman for life. But we hear, oh, that's a bad thing. No. There are homes. There, there are homes where children are forbidden to read the Word of God. Not like Victoria, who wants her kids to hear the Word of God and to pray. There are places where kids are told, no, you can't pray to God. You can't read the Word of God. There are marriages where believing spouses are forbidden uh, to practice their faith openly. Um, and that's, that's a hardship. There are communities where it's okay for teachers to teach their children who come to the school uh, about their own personal sexuality. These are things in opposition. There are places and workplaces where you're not supposed to talk about God, you're not supposed to have a Bible, you're not supposed to read the Bible, you're not supposed to have biblical convictions. There are places where a coach's prayer can get you fired. There are places where you serve in the military and if you refuse to take an injection because of religious convictions, you can lose your commission. There are places where public worship is forbidden. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 6 says this, Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius live forever by agreement this is a conspiracy we just got done preaching i just got done preaching through matthew we did i guess i shouldn't say i myself and the elders matthew chapter 12 the the elders the the pharisees and scribes came by agreement and plotted against jesus here daniel's detractors were plotting against daniel right as a group a deceptive and premeditated plot and it says in verse 17 that all the commissioners came. And I said when I read it, it's a lie. Well, of course it's a lie because Daniel wasn't there. Daniel's not going to agree with this. Daniel's not going to support this kind of a thing. No, he's not. Their suggestion for an irrevocable decree for 30 days of exclusive emperor worship would be flattering to Darius, right? He'd like that. It certainly would be a flaunting of a Persian domination. And it might even bring together, it might fuse together some, some factions within the kingdom that, that were warring. But most of all, it was targeted against Daniel. I mean, Babylon was not known for, and the Persian Empire was not known for its god worship, so idolatry wasn't really promoted here. But exclusive worship of the emperor was and worshiping Yahweh was forbidden so to maintain his fidelity to God he had to violate the law Daniel did violate the king's law I just read recently about a military pilot U.S. military pilot who uh, refused to take uh, uh, the, uh, the injection for COVID out of religious convictions now whether you think you should take the vaccine or not that's not the point the point is he had a religious conviction against doing it and he has been told now that he's lo he lost his commission in the U.S. military he now has to repay all of the money that he uh, would it would have cost for him to attend the Air Force Academy he has to pay all that back now obey God obey the government that was the choice. So we see, if, if we have this fearless faith, that it begins with uh, an absence of corruption on our part. So that's the demonstration of it. And then now the demonstration uh, of this devotion is that uh, there are three marks of, of tenacious trust that I see in the text. First of all, verses 6 through 10, uh, our devotion is verified. Daniel's response, in my opinion, to this decree is humbling and it's helpful. Okay, he's faced with the choice. Deny God or disobey the king. 
You know the thing? You could have said, well, Daniel just shut the door windows, right? I mean, you got these windows open to the east towards Jerusalem, just or west or whatever it was. Just, just shut the windows and pray in, you know, like Jesus says, pray in your closet. Well, he was praying in his closet, but he wasn't shutting the windows, so he didn't compromise that way. And he didn't counter protest. He didn't throw a fit. He didn't throw a hissy fit, as my dad used to say. He just, just, you know, kept praying. He entered his house without heralding what he was doing. He didn't say, I'm going to go pray anyway. And he didn't cower and hide. And he continued praying, the text says, three times a day, just as he had done previously. I just love that. He just kept doing what he was doing. Because his relationship with God was more important than his obedience to the king, this pagan king. He didn't deviate from the habit of bowing towards Jerusalem where God had promised that his presence would dwell in 1 Kings chapter 8. And that if God, God's presence was there and if you prayed towards this place, God would answer your prayer. And he believed that and he prayed. And he just kept praying. Quiet, private, observable, but, but private, okay, and unflinching devotion, regardless of who opposed and regardless of what the consequence was. He didn't say, ooh, this could, this could, this could really be bad. Well, duh, if you do this, you're going into the lion's den. That's not a good, that's not a good outcome. I think... And maybe, I don't know, perhaps Daniel's courage here was uh, inspired Peter and John. Remember Peter and John in Acts chapter 4? They're told they, they, they not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And here's their response. And Peter and John answered and said to them, uh, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, make your own judgment. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I'm challenging you, I'm challenging myself, believers, in this culture in which we live, we need to show up, we need to stand up, and we need to speak up about what is true. Now, Daniel did it without belligerence. He did it without, you know, obnoxiousness. Is that a word? He did it without being obnoxious, okay? But he did it, okay? And he did it. Daniel's devotion, I hope, would be an example to inspire tenacious faith on our part. Young people, when there's a professor or there's a teacher who requires you to validate or to celebrate uh, promiscuity, you say no. Parents, when there's teachers or instructors who are saying that it's okay for uh, the teacher to instruct your children on things about sexuality or to share their own sexuality or things that you find offensive and find inconsistent with God's word, maybe we should be inspired to do something about that. Or professors or teachers who say that it's okay to teach about gender fluidity or that there is it's validation for ethnic prejudice. Maybe I'll tease that out a little bit. Um, all of that stuff, I would say, is, is inconsistent with biblical truth, and much of it's inconsistent with biological truth. My opinion, there's no student should ever be uh, required to read Gender Queer, which is basically a pornography book, by an instructor, let alone sixth graders who are required to read it in Barrington, Illinois. ought not to happen. Now, with grace and mercy and kindness, we, we should be able to, to resist this stuff. People are not evil. People are not oppressors simply because of the color of their skin. Okay? We're not evil based on the color of our skin, as CRT teaches. We're evil, all of us, based upon the corruption of our soul. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us or in need of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't oppressors and there aren't people of, of all different skin colors. That's true. What if our employer forbids us to speak about Jesus? 
Or law forbids us to say that immorality is sin. Or to communicate that we cannot pray. Or prevents us from worshiping. I was really, really encouraged by the recent Supreme Court decision that Joe Kennedy, who was a coach at Bremerton Washington High School, uh, was told that it was against, he, he was fired because he prayed. He went out, to, now you can debate whether he should go to the 50-yard line at the football field and pray, but it is America, right? So you're supposed to be able, I, I should be able to pray wherever I want to pray. And he was, it was, the Supreme Court validated that. He was able to pray wherever he wanted to pray. I'm, I'm heartened by that. I'm encouraged by that. He persisted to pray when he was told he couldn't. See, I kind of get a little peeved a little bit sometimes when Christians say, well, they, they took prayer out of the school. The only reason they took prayer out of the school is because Christians stopped praying in the school. Nothing to keep us from praying in the school. Now, okay, sanctioned prayers by the teacher? No, but we can pray. Every Christian can pray. Wherever you're at. The Supreme Court just said, at least in the United States, that right now, that's fine. These men came by agreement, it says in verse 11 and verse 15. A conspiracy, and they found Daniel uh, asking God for help. Not looking to the king. <laughs> no. They, he, he, not bowing before the king. The assault on our integrity and our firm resistance to moral compromise. And I want to say this. <clears throat> again, the assault on our integrity and our firm resistance to moral compromise does not mean we abandon compassion or our commitment to reach people for Christ. Folks, you understand that it is precisely the violation of God's law that is keeping people from knowing Christ. We must understand that we're sinful. And if we endorse and condone and celebrate sin, we only condemn people to hell. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and following. You can read it. I didn't make it up. So it's not like we, we, we can't come as some air of superiority. And that's the tendency, right? It's like, well, we're better than them. No, because we're all saved by grace. Grace, grace. I may not have an issue with one of these cultural sins, but if I'm a kleptomaniac or if I'm a glutton or if I lust, I'm just as guilty. And I can't walk around and say, I'm a Christian luster. I'm a Christian kleptomaniac. What? No. The two don't go together. And no, you, you can't, our, our definition, our identity is not in anything but Jesus. And if I am identifying as something that's inconsistent with Jesus, then my identity is not in Jesus. That's my assessment of it. Our devotion is not just verified, but it's vilified. Verses 12 through 15 uh, with proof of Daniel's disobedience, they reminded the king of the decree and identified Daniel as disloyal. Look at, look at verse 13 particularly. It says, Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles. So he's kind of an outsider anyway, right? Remember, he's that foreigner, that guy we brought in. He's one of those nasty guys. He pays no attention to you, king. He's dissing the king. How offensive is that? I'm the king! How dare you, Daniel? That's what they're trying to play it against. Yo, he's disloyal. But interesting, Daniel, another, another manifestation of a fearless faith is that we're willing to suffer the consequences for being obedient to God in being disobedient to anybody else. He still kept praying when he knew what the consequence would be. And it's interesting <clears throat> that Darius was deeply distressed. Darius liked Daniel. He's going to put him in the top spot, right? He liked Daniel. He was deeply distressed. He kept exerting himself. But he was trapped by his own law. 
And guess what? The boys, I'm just going to call them the boys, the other commissioners and satraps, the boys showed up to remind him. The third time, I think it's the third time. Is it the third time? They got together? Yeah, verse 15. Then these all came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Oh, I just want to remind you, king, that it's the irrevocable laws of the Medes and Persians, and by the way, you can't change it. So you're, you're cooked. You know, you can't. And then in my devious mind sometimes, I go, okay, well, uh, how come Daniel, uh, how come the king didn't just feed the lions before he threw Daniel in there? You know? How come he didn't give Daniel like this suit of armor, impenetrable armor that, you know, could keep the lions from actually doing damage to him, even if they weren't fully fit? Why didn't he reverse the situation and throw the men and the wives and the kids in there first and then throw Daniel in? I know, that's, I'm sorry, it's just the way my mind works sometimes. You know why? What glory would God get from that? And besides the fact that it would violate his own law. So there'd be no glory to God for delivering Daniel if the king had subverted it somehow. No. Their plain plan and their witness of his disobedience and their insistence on the punishment required a miracle for Daniel's deliverance. That's the point. It's got to be a miracle. And God is going to be glorified. And so our, vo- our devotion is, is verified, then it's vilified, and finally it's vindicated. And there's two steps. First of all, he was punished. Now, Daniel's probably in his 80s at this point. So he's not a young dude. And they throw him down in the lion's den. It's not like he's going to, you know, do a, a Samson thing down there. You know, it's not like he's going to, uh, you know, not going to do a, a, a Jacob thing take the jawbone and no he's in trouble but he went down in there and he 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 was delivered and the king comes and he makes this pronouncement and he's and the king's pronouncement is this in verse 16 your god whom you constantly serve you know what would really be sweet is the people that you work with and and interact with in your family wouldn't it be neat if they said that of you and me the god whom you constantly i mean Daniel wasn't just in your face about his faith, but the king knew that he served God constantly. He didn't understand what all that was, I don't think, but the God whom you constantly serve indicates, I think, the king's heart for Daniel and his honest appreciation for Daniel's devotion to God, his hope that Daniel would be rescued. He was hoping that he would be and his honor for Daniel's God. And he sealed up the tomb and he sealed it with his signet ring and all of the other people's signet ring so that nobody could say the king was playing favorites. Nobody could say that anything happened other than what really happened and that is that God saved him. And he waited till morning and I just think, Daniel was willing to die. Am I? I mean, I don't like conflict. I I don't want people to think badly of me. I don't know too many people that do. But at some point, I have to say, is my devotion to Christ more important than the acceptance of men. And Daniel was willing to pay the price. And then we see Daniel was preserved. He was punished and he was preserved in verses 19 through 24. He made his way, the king did, early to the den And in in verse 20, he cries out with a wavering voice. The king spoke to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, again, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Uh, There is a declaration of Daniel's loyalty and a test of God's ability. Has he been able to save you? I mean... He was expressing what he wanted to happen, but he didn't know that it actually would, and it did. (laughs) Verses 21 through 23 
is interesting here. He says, Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lion's den. And I'm not going to read it all over again, but in those verses, Daniel declares God's sovereignty. He defends his own innocence and he proclaims the delight of the king. I want to look at each one of those. His sovereignty. Notice this is my God sent his angel. And then it says later in verse 22, no injury whatsoever was found on him. Can I trust God? <laughs> like Daniel did? I mean, I'm either going to die or I'm not. And no injury was found on him. That's the sovereign work of God. And that should, and it would have been a deeply encouraging thing for the people alive at Daniel's time during the time of the captivity. They would say, whoa, God is able to deliver. It should be a really encouraging thing for God's people today. That God really is in control despite all of the circumstances. Despite the fact that World War III is looming. Despite the fact that the prices of everything are escalating, despite the fact that the moral decay in our world is ramped up and, and escalating, despite the fact, and you fill in the blank, that violence is on the rise, God is in control. And our faith, our faith is in God is emboldened by our knowledge that the same power that delivered Daniel, that raised him up, if you will, out of the lion's den, is the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead. Oh, yeah, God's still in control. And he's the same God that's working in and through his people today and given us the promise that if we don't win in this world, which we're not going to, we win in the end. See, the, you've got to read the whole book. The beginning and the end. It comes full circle. Because someday we're going to be back in the garden. Someday we're going to be back in the garden. God's garden. Where it's glorious and perfect. And the light of Christ will shine. No need for the sun. No need for the moon. No need for the stars. And today, fearless faith is fueled by the conviction that if we stay faithful, Regardless of the immediate consequences, he will ultimately and finally give us the victory in Jesus. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. Our God is mighty to save from the difficult temporary stuff, but he will always save from eternal consequences of hell for those who are trusting in him as their Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you're not putting your faith, you haven't put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did on the cross as the payment for your sin, it's not too late. You just have to acknowledge your sin. That's why we, we proclaim the truth. And then you turn from your sin and you trust in what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the promise of the Bible is you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the punishment of sin. Saved from the presence of sin. Saved from the power of sin. Uh, the presence of sin we're saved from later. <laughs> we still got that nasty thing hanging around. But uh, we, we're saved from the power of it. And the end. And then innocence. Verse 22. He says, I'm innocent. His preservation is proof of his innocence. Right? Before God and the king... If we obey God rather than men, we will always be innocent before God and uh, usually innocent, not always, but usually innocent of any real wrongdoing towards man. Obey, the God, obey, obey God. And then the delight of the king. The joyful king attributes Daniel's preservation to his dependence. If you looked at, at verse 23, which I'm just going to read. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found in him. Why? The king says, because he had trusted in his God. He had trusted in his God. His deliverance 
after perverse punishment foreshadowed the deliverance of Christ, who through perverse punishment was raised to new life so that all who believe could be forgiven. You see, Jesus, the text says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I hope and I pray that I live my life entrusting myself to him who judges righteously. Not the world who judges with wrong motives. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's the age in which we live. We as believers are called by Paul in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, to abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. So we abhor it. But hopefully not as sanctimonious, pious knuckleheads, but as people who have been redeemed and who want others to be redeemed. I, I've been challenged. I've got, I got to pray for some of these people more consistently that are acting like knuckleheads uh, with regard to the response to all that's happening because they don't know Jesus. then I'm challenged. Do I want them to? You know, it, it makes no good if we preach about hell because we're glad that people are going. We preach about hell because we're sorry that people are going. And we want people to come to know Christ just like we have because we have nothing to stand before God and say, I deserve this. In verse 24 reinforces the fact that Daniel's deliverance was God's protection and it reminds us, folks, the end of the story that I said is not in the storybooks. It's a reminder of God's vengeance on sin. You see, he's going to punish the wicked someday. But God rescued Daniel from physical death as a result of his dependence upon him in the same way that he delivers us from spiritual death when we put our faith or our trust in his son. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart we believe resulting in righteousness with the mouth we confess resulting in salvation. I implore you, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would turn from your sin and trust him today. Because only judgment awaits. And the last fact that's evident here, those who have a fearless faith, is that we deflect the adoration. Verses 25 and 27. Uh, there was one decree. What was the first decree of Darius? Anybody who prays to any god but, but me for 30 days, into the lion's den. Now, I want you to read the decree, his second decree. Verse 26. I make a decree, the second one, which completely put on its head the first one. The first one is it's all about me. The second one is not anything about me. That men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Hear the testimony of a pagan king about God the Father. He is the living God, not a dead God. He's the living God. He has an eternal kingdom as opposed to, I'm using Darius, my own little temporal kingdom. He has an eternal kingdom and he works powerfully on behalf of his own. Daniel, the old man Daniel, enjoyed the blessing of God throughout the lives, throughout the history of, of Darius and, and Cyrus. And so I think fearless faith the face of fearless faith is marked by integrity. People see it, but they also don't like it. That's when it's marked by fidelity, faithfulness to him. And ultimately, fearless faith brings God glory because he gets the credit for us living it out. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, my, my command to you, my, my call to you, I don't command, I can't command you to do anything. My invitation is that you would see that Daniel... This is real stuff. And the wicked are punished. And I don't want you to be punished that way. I want you to experience a forgiveness that can only come to you through personal faith in Jesus. So I invite you to implore you, encourage you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I hope and I pray that the example of Daniel will encourage you, that it will inspire you, that we would be inspired to remain faithful and focused on reaching people for Jesus 
Stand up for what's right, but don't do it just to stand up for what's right. Do it to point people to Christ. Inspire them. And that would encourage us to rest. Okay, it's kind of scary, right? It's kind of scary if I actually say to my family members that this certain behavior is contrary to God's word and I don't think it should be accepted or I actually am supporting of the, the Supreme Court decision that, that des- destroyed Roe versus Wade. I think that's a good decision. Are you ready for the wrath? Are you ready for the ridicule? We stand firm in God's word and I pray that we would give God glory. And so as, as we close our service, it's our practice, if you're, if you're here as a guest for the first time, that we close with taking the bread and the cup, the juice, as a reminder of what Christ has done for us. And so our praise team is going to come, and they're going to play a song. And as you feel led, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to search your heart and confess your sin, then at whatever time you feel appropriate, you can get up and make your way either in the front or the back, and the bread and the juice are there. You can take it there or you can take it back to your seat and take it. But just remember this, there's symbols to refresh our memory of the victory we have through Christ at Calvary that's available to all who believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your grace, and I pray that you would give us courage to live as people manifesting the face of fearless faith. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.